Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Blue Collar okay. Blacklisted Podcast. In previous episodes, we've covered some of the work of the group Undercover Mothers. And today, I'm happy to welcome to our show one of their representatives. Because of the type of work they do, who their target is, it's critical to their mission to retain anonymity for their members. That being said, we'd like to welcome an undercover mother to our show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, just a basic pretext for the people that may have not listened to this specific episode where we covered some of your work. Uh, who are you guys and what do you do? Sure. Well, um, we are a mom collective of private school moms from all across the country. And we are a group who came together very organically because we all started to notice that there were problems going on in our private schools. And we, um, some of us had reached out to uh, Paul Rossi, who some of you guys may have heard of. He is the teacher from New York who sort of famously wrote an article about that he wasn't going to stand by while his students were indoctrinated. And he was a teacher at a private school in New York who sort of became one of the first to really speak out about these problems. And so sort of through reaching out to him, we kind of organized ourselves into this group of what we now call undercover mothers. So it's been it's been quite an organic phenomenon of mothers who all share the same concerns and the same mission and the same uh, desire to save our children from the indoctrination and infiltration of these political and uh, divisive ideologies into our school. So you said you first noticed a problem collectively. What was that problem that you noticed? Or, and I ask that because I have two kids in private school. So for those of mm-hmm. our listeners, what do they need to watch for? What are some of those red flags that they need to be paying attention to or watching for that you guys noticed that maybe we're not even noticing? Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's a great question because I think a lot of people who I talk to, they know in their gut or in their heart, when there are things going on at their school that don't align with their family's values. And many of us notice this very dramatic shift, I would say, right after what they call the summer of George. So this is what the, um, I don't know if you are familiar with the phrase DEI, which is the diversity, equity, inclusion people. And so this DEI, which is essentially a, a big complex, it's a, it's a big complex of consultants and um, practitioners. And uh, very soon after the, summer of George, we, all of the schools sent out these emails addressing the, what had happened and very much in quickly after that, broad and sweeping changes were being announced to the schools in terms of changes to their missions, changes to how they were going to address the um, systemic problems with racism in schools. It was it was very, I think, surprising to a lot of people to read that their heads of school were saying their schools were 
facing these serious challenges of racism. And it just all of a sudden came up very quickly right after that. Um, and what was really suspicious was if you started talking to other parents, you realized that all of the schools were sending out the same letter or the same email. And the language was very much the same. It might not be exactly the same, but the language was very similar, almost as if they had copied and pasted it from some other source. So I think that's when a lot of us started to realize that what we thought were our independent schools were actually not operating as independent institutions. They were being guided by something else. And so we started digging and we followed the trail of accreditation. And what we found was the, the head of the snake is something called the NAIS, which is the National Association of Independent Schools. And so any, what I would say back to your question about the red flags, any private school that is affiliated with the NAIS is going to have some version of these problems. And what I mean by problems could be anything from what their their changes to admissions, changes to hiring, changes to curriculum, changes to athletics, changes to the way their boards run. It is a sweeping overhaul, over takeover of every single school. And I know that that sounds dramatic, but I can point you to actual um, instructional videos that they've put out as well as the language on their own website which will, you can read it in their own words. So I always tell people that they don't have to take my word for it. There's evidence of this everywhere. If you choose to look for it, I can point you to it. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely true, And which I don't have children in private school, but just doing my preparation to have you on, looking at some of the stuff you sent and then doing my own digging, um, I, I think there's just kind of a preconceived notion and feeling that a parent would have hey, I'm going to send them to private school. And it's automatically by virtue of being a private school and the, and the, the price of admission that it's going to be better than public school. And I think given the structure and prestige of a lot of these are really well-known private schools. Um, and I've noticed too, when I'm looking at the NAIS accredited schools here, they're always really, there's a high concentration in the more affluent areas. And to me, it's arguably a far more efficient indoctrination opportunity for anyone that has an agenda versus a public school, especially if the parents simply assume that it's better than a public school just because you're paying for it out of pocket. And it's, yeah, that is exactly what we've come up against is that the parents, we have abdicated our power to the school because we assume, and also when you go through the admissions process, you are, none of this is apparent during the admissions process. It's all very um, covert and hidden. It's a agenda that's being um, sort of snuck in using very flowery language. And they will, in a lot of ways, um, they will adjust their message depending on who they're talking to. Um, some schools are more overt about how they present this kind of thing. Any school that has a DEI program or a DEI, um, I guess, director. Um, there's a school here that has six DEI employees for a school of less than a thousand kids. 
you know, you can look at their website and sort of see just exactly how much of their mission and focus is surrounding DEI. They've all changed their language. Um, most of the schools have changed their language dramatically in the past two years as far as their mission goes and just the things that they will put on their website. Um, but also, one thing that's really changed is the contracts, the enrollment contracts that parents sign um, to join these schools. And sadly, a lot of people just click through and don't actually read them. And especially from year to year, you may not uh, you may not realize how much language changes from year to year. Sometimes it can be subtle, and they're not printed out. It's just a click through. Um, and so it's very much, it, it feels very much, um, like fraud in a way, almost yes. like consumer fraud. Yeah. If you remember what happened with the whole mortgage, um, debacle where, you know, these, where people just kind of weren't reading what they were signing. It is a little bit, it's a little bit like that sometimes where, um, this year specifically the language and the contract changed to such a degree that. And I can send y'all some examples of these that there are um, what they call um, parent um, cooperation clauses. And it will say that if any family member expresses disagreement with the school, that the children are um, up to be expelled. I mean, there, there are, you, you cannot ask questions. You cannot express um, disagreement verbally, non-verbally, on or off campus. And it will say any family member. I mean, it's absolutely astounding. And people who I have said uh, we're leaving our school uh, this year, I told my kids, I'm not signing that contract. And, um, you know, when I've talked to other parents, I'll say, can you believe that contract? And they'll, they won't know what I'm talking about. So people are signing and saying, and not realizing what they're signing, which is really unfortunate. And I think very sneaky that these schools are um, willing, positioning parents to be completely muzzled by these, by these enrollment contracts. And so it seems like the same, the, the same uh, heavy-handed approach that the public school is using to indoctrinate, it's almost more forcibly applied in private school, it seems like. But one, one thing I want to uh, go back to, mm-hmm. a, a DEI representative – and I've seen this in my research locally, and that means a diversity uh, a diversity representative equity and inclusion person on site at all right. times being paid being paid to be there always and and in some instances there's more than one. Oh right, so it's an employee of the school, and many times this person is as high up in the school as the headmaster is. So this person essentially has power over every single aspect of the school, and so they will have their hands in everything, literally everything, from admissions to hiring to curriculum to um, the 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 budget to um, things the changes that were made and that have been made over the last two essentially over the last two years is when we really started noticing the changes are it in every single aspect of the school and there was a conflagration of events between the summer of George and then these um, black at Instagram pages popped up for many of these private schools. And so 
this was, um, again, meant to look like the anonymous Instagram pages for the individual schools, which were entitled, you know, Black At, and then fill in the name of the school. And these were anonymous accounts from Black um, students, alumni, teachers, anybody affiliated with the school who were um, accounting their own experiences with systemic racism at at that school. And so many of the schools will point to that as one of the main reasons for their broad sweeping changes that they implemented. And you were saying what that was we a, found to be that was done anonymously. Yes. Okay. Well, so they were meant to look anonymous. They were meant to look like very organic, like, Oh, my school, this popped up for, you know, so if you're a parent in a city somewhere and your school has this Instagram account pop up, and you think, oh, my goodness, look at all the racism that has been existing at my school for all this time. And then that they will justify all the changes they're making at the school because of all of these things. But when you when you zoom out and you realize that this all of these Instagram accounts popped up almost overnight for well over 100 schools all over across the country and it all and they all had the same look and feel. Many of them had the same verbiage on them so none of this was organic none of this was by accident so this was a coordinated um campaign that somebody was behind we still don't know who but it wasn't organic it wasn't so it was again meant to justify the changes that were happening at all of these schools but Again, it's hard because parents don't realize that they're, when you're in a private school, you, you may be in this bubble of this thought bubble thinking that your school is acting independently, just in the best interest of the students and parents and families at that school. But what, that, what we're trying to make sure every parent understands is that is not the case. Your school is part of a cartel of over 1,900 independent schools that are run by the NAIS. And they are dictating what goes on, because not your your headmaster, not your board, certainly not the parents. I mean, the parents have no voice whatsoever. I mean, none of this involves what the parents actually want. Which is and so that's what's really, I think, that, that, oh, my goodness. That's antithetical it to the whole principle so of private school. It is so frustrating. You're not, we're the paying customer. Do you know how many people that I talk to all the time who say, like, I am the customer? And, in the, and a lot of parents, there's this like arc of people who you can see where they are in the process because some of them will say, Oh, I'm going to go have a meeting with the headmaster and I'm going to explain to them what I see or what I think or what I feel. And then they think, and then the headmaster will of course say, Oh yes, I hear you. Mm, thank you for your time. And then, you know, that's it. Nothing happened. And the best case scenario is nothing happens. The worst case scenario is then you're expelled from the school. I mean, so there's there's nothing. Parents need to realize that, yes, you might be paying, depending on how many kids you have and what part of the country you live in. I mean, it's at least 30 grand a kid. It could be up to 60 grand a kid. But you have, and they do not care about what you think, what you feel, what your family's values are. None of it matters. If you're not drinking their Kool-Aid, 
if you are not aligned with their mission, then they will tell you to leave. So, I mean, and that's just a fact. That's a fact. And so I have a question. When you said, when you told your kids that you're not signing the contract and they're going to change schools, I don't know how old your kids are, but I have four kids. Mm-hmm. Two of them are in private school. Mm-hmm. And so how do your kids react to that? Because I know my kids have changed schools. Two of my kids have changed schools. So mm-hmm. from a private school. And so I know mm-hmm. how they reacted. So like, how do your kids mm-hmm. react when they say, okay, we're going to change schools. Cause I don't know their mm-hmm. ages, but we're going to change schools. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to make new friends. We're going to do other. How did they react right. to you and you know, their, their mother and their father and the brainwashing and, and so yeah. goes on. how, how did they react to that? And what kind of advice would you have to parents going through this? Sure. Well, so my kids, we had changed schools two years prior, so we had already done this once. Um, And so they were a little bit, um, one was kind of like, okay, you know, didn't really seem to care because the, the feeling of this not being a great school was already kind of, in our day-to-day conversations as far as just the things that may or may not have been going on in their classrooms or the things that may or may not be going on with the um, decision-making of the school with regard to masks or vaccines or any of the other things that really just did not align with our family values. And I try to talk to, we try to talk to the kids constantly about what it is bring them back to what matters within our family and our family's values and unfortunately because of our very conservative values it's not always in line with what many of the educators um are doing and so i'm always just on guard and because of the school where we were prior to this I had five years of experience with that, and that school was extremely progressive in its um, diversity, equity, inclusion, indoctrination. So it was almost as if I got a, a head start in what to look for, and I just knew that this was not. And, and they were, it was, it was, they weren't too thrilled, but they also knew at the end of the day that we were going to always do what was best for them. And that we we were always going to do what we knew was best for our family's values and for their their well being. I mean, it, it just and unfortunately, the school where we are now was a little bit of a bait and switch. Without getting um, too specific, there were some pretty big changes that were made during the years that we were there that were just um, sort of opposite from what we had signed up for. Um, and so it's, you know, it's not easy to change schools. And this is part of the reason why a lot of private school parents say, oh, I, w- I wish I could change schools, but I can't. And it, it, I mean, you can, it's just a lot of, it, it can be a lot of work, number one, because depending on how old your child is, you may have to take um, the SSAT, which is the, the, the standardized testing that you have to take, uh, which is a, a beast. And there's also interviews. There's also, you may not get a spot. You know, there's a limited number of spots. It's very competitive depending on where you live. 
if you have multiple children and you want them in the same school. It, it, it's just, it's a lot of um, what if. And it's also hard if your kids are super happy. Maybe your kids are super happy at their school and they don't want to change school. So, there, and also, there aren't great alternatives. I mean, th- there's not a lot of alternatives out there because any school, if people ask me this all the time, what do I, well, then where, where do I go? And the ultimate answer to that that most people will come to is if you want to have any control over what your children are learning or the environment that they're, that they're in when they're learning is you have to homeschool. And I think a lot of people just, that is like a bridge too far for them. They think, oh, I could never do that. Or, you know, they just, that, that's like, you know, something they can't even fathom. And so I think it becomes the lesser of the evils. Like, well, I guess I just have to stay here and, and, you know, deprogram my kids every day. Or it's just a horrible environment that, that we find ourselves in all parents find themselves in I think and um, one of the reasons why I'm so glad to be able to talk to you guys is I've listened to a ton of different um, podcasts or, or um, you know interviews with people on this topic and a lot of attention is being given to the, the public schools which is great because those have obviously been completely overtaken but I don't hear many people talking about the private school issue. And so it's really, I'm really grateful that you guys are shining a light on this because it is happening in private schools. A lot of people think private schools are this safe haven and sort of a, you know, last visit, like, oh, if I had to, I could always go to a private school and I would be, my kids would be safe there or I would have more say there. But it's actually the opposite. You actually have zero say there. You have no say. And you really don't know what's going on. There's no curriculum transparency. There is no financial transparency. There's no transparency of what goes on in the meetings of the board of trustees. There's no contractual transparency. Um, it's really people, I think, sometimes are sort of shocked. And um, they'll say, well, then why are you paying to go there? Um and that ultimately becomes the question that any private school parent has to grapple with. And I think that's why a lot of people I talk to prefer to just keep their head in the sand because they realize that if they really did have to open their eyes to all of the things that were going on, then they would have some really tough decisions to make. And unfortunately, a lot of people either don't have the moral courage or the intellectual uh, willingness to make those kinds of tough decisions. And it's really sad. I mean, it's affected a lot of my, my friendships, I'll say. I mean, it's sad to see that people are willing to keep their kids in these environments where the kinds of things are going on that we know are going on, and they'll say, well, oh, it's not affecting my child, or, oh, no, that's not happening at my school, but that's just because they're they're pretending it's not that that's but that that sense of complacency is is taken over so many facets of our society but I, I could easily after seeing the things that i've seen about what's going on in private schools make the argument that public school would potentially be better because you can appeal to the school board and if you could imagine what would happen mm-hmm. if if a school started to buck the nais narrative 
there's going to be repercussions and lose their accreditation or, or any other fa- a variety of other things could happen that you so you don't really have like you're saying a, an ability or anyone to appeal to for these concerns where in public school you do and one of the things no. that, that kind of struck out to me is you'll see a lot of uh, videos online of students arguing with teachers on social issues that they because they're taught at home this is wrong you don't see that in private school private school like uh, i was saying earlier the structure of it and the the discipline and the fact that your parents are paying for it it's, it's a different it's kind of a different environment from my estimation i didn't go to private school in fact i went to one of the worst public schools that uh, <laughs> that is in our town so it's, it's no, it's no, one, one thing i did want to ask because and it fits right into what you're saying because this is one of the most disturbing things to me is the if you're familiar with the sais the southern association of independent schools because mm-hmm. the, I, I was looking and let me ramble here for a minute um yeah, I have a few people in my life that I know. Uh, one was a former uh, boss, and his daughter. Uh, they put just a premium on on everything about her. Um, you know, she's the smartest. She's the best. We want everything the best for her. So they send her to a a, a, a nationally known private school here in the area, and so. She's been to eight years of college, and he he came to me a, a few months ago. Like I don't, you know, I don't know what I did wrong. And I've heard this story from a few people that sent their their children to private school. Uh, one family member tells me the same thing. I don't know what went wrong. They're they're an atheist. They don't believe in God. We barely speak. We completely disagree on politics. We we don't hardly talk. They didn't come over for Thanksgiving, and so I was I was when I'm doing the research for this show. I said, well, I wonder if this school has that accreditation, and I'll be damned if all of them don't have an NAIS accreditation. And have for years. And yeah. so I started I started yeah. to see the SAIS accreditation at these Christian schools also. And so and actually right. let me uh let me uh this is just on the the menu on the SAIS site that I mean it's all all the same stuff. And so it's something that your group should also be aware of, I feel like. Uh so I'm well correct. So that's one of the regional uh, so uh, the NAIS is basically like the, 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 it's the head of the snake and then you've got correct. And so it's the national, so we, so you can think of it sort of like a cartel. It really is like the mafia. So the, the NAIS is a membership organization. So the school can choose to be a member of it or not. And so the, the regional accreditation organizations like the SAIS, those are the, kind of the minions to go out and do the actual accreditation, which really is is sort of a, it's, it's all big, I would say, fraud in a way. I mean, it, it, they don't really, schools don't really need it. Mm-hmm. it it's like the, they, they've convinced these schools that they need all of that, but schools existed and thrived before these accreditation agencies existed. So it's just like with any other, sort of third-party um, accreditation or validation, it sort of exists because people think it needs to exist. Does that make sense? Like, people yeah. are convinced that you have to have this accreditation. If I ask people, it's sort of like, I asked my kids the other day, they came home from school talking about something about Ukraine and this and that, and I said, well, why do you think we need to support Ukraine? And they were like, well, I, I guess 
you know, they kind of answer me, of course. I mean, they're, they're young enough that they don't have the kind of critical thinking skills yet that I'm trying to instill in them. But, you know, if people say things as if they're just facts without you really, people have forgotten how to look past what's being presented. So why do you need a credit? You know, why do we need to be accredited? Well, we don't. I mean, it, it's a, it's all this sort of self-sustaining ecosystem of bureaucracy, of extra layers of, of centralization that actually, as we know from anything to do with our government, makes things way worse. So people think when they're in a private school that it's this sort of independent it's a non-public school, like it's a non-government school. It's really the same thing. I mean, you're still being essentially governed by this national organization that's very left-wing, very radical. If you dig into their website and you see who's behind them, there's uh, two clicks away from NAIS. And I don't know how deep into this stuff y'all want to go, but if you, the NAIS has what they call their principles of good practice, which is what they lean on and what they, that's the cover that all of these schools use for, say, they can say, well, we do X, Y, or Z, you know, we do this in our hiring practices, or we made this change to our admissions or curriculum because it's, it's the best practices from the NAIS. And then people, a lot of people will just say, oh, okay. You know, they, they don't want to, they don't dig any further than that because it sounds really important and official. Mm-hmm. But if you look at these principles of good practice from the NAS, well, they're written by an organization called Independent Sector. Well, Independent Sector is very radical, very, their entire mission is racial justice, and they are nothing to do with education. They're basically a, like a public policy group. And then behind them is a group called Upswell, which is funded by George Soros and Bill Gates. And, you know, so it's if you follow the money, like with anything else, you connect a few dots, you can get to the point where you realize, okay, this is just like every other one of our institutions has been completely infiltrated and completely taken over by the And it is some, not something that many people want to dig too far into because it's a massive thing to to contemplate. But it's the same. It, private schools are no different than any of our other institutions that have been taken over. And when you think about the tentacles of Soros with uh, of Soros and, mm-hmm. and Bill Gates, to me, it appears, and this may seem melodramatic, and you tell me if I'm wrong, it appears to be a targeted effort to have influence over young people who eventually and potentially hold will hold high-level positions in corporate America, governance, companies big and small, anywhere in between, basically oh, to, to reshape, reshape society, which would mean, I mean, that, that would explain the fixation on the more affluent areas with the highest concentration of accreditation, which granted, you're, you're naturally going to have right. pri- more private schools in those types of area areas, but... When I'm looking at a map for NAIS mm-hmm. and, and you've got the, the, the ticker for, you know, a specific area. I mean, when you look all over the country, mm-hmm. the affluent areas are just saturated in NAIS accredited schools. Oh, 100%. It is. And, and I mean, it is very targeted. It is very, um, their mission is to 
when I say they, um, one thing that we were very fortunate to get um, insight into uh, is the NAIS People of Color Conference, which is an annual conference that they hold for their uh, MA schools all over the center, administrators and faculty of color. Uh, it's a safe space for them. And this is all in their own work. Um, and this organization, no one really looked into this stuff too, too uh, deeply until I would say we started having questions about what in the world is going on in our schools. So if you, if you look at the videos that were captured from so this past year's People of Color Conference was done online. And there's a group who were able to attend that conference and screen grab a lot of the, um, a lot of the teacher trainings. And um, there's actually a website. I can send you all the links for it, which um, highlights, I'd say, probably like the 10 most egregious of these um, teacher trainings, which are saying like kindergartners are social justice warriors. And um, one of them that's really, I think, one of the ones I always point people to is the lady who says, burn shit down, y'all. Like they want to destroy and dismantle any institution that they believe was founded in white privilege. And they believe private schools fall into that category as does the country by the way i mean so you're not getting too deep into anything once you actually you can listen to their own words and you can hear what they're saying and the i think frustrating thing is that many people just choose to either um ignore it or say like oh that's not really happening well guess what it is happening and we have to do something about it before they really do burn shit down, yeah. which is your school, your, um, and, it, and it's all being done in the name of this flowery language that they use, which is not the language that they use amongst themselves, by the way. So that is what's been very eye-opening. And actually, I think if you if you look at sort of the why, why is all of this happening and why are we seeing all of this? You know, God has given us the opportunity to gather this evident, actual evidence of what's going on, which is one thing I was, I'll give you guys a list of things that your listeners can do as far as people always want to know, well, what can I do? And gathering actual evidence to support what it is that you that you know is going on is one of the best things that I could encourage anybody to do because as you're trying to part of what we have to do is educate people in the schools of what's really going on and shining a light on what's going on and for to say for a few years I would tell people that this or that was going on. And it was just sort of my own anecdotal evidence or my own thoughts or opinions or my own fears or worries. But, and that may or may not be very convincing or moving to people. But when you have actual videos of people who are actual DEI trainers teaching every single person, ostensibly any person that is a NAS school 
is learning this kind of information. And this is what's being pushed back with the need to know. This is what's being pushed back into your classroom. And we have it in their own words. It's very powerful. And it's the actual evidence that we've been able to collect over the past, I would say, mostly past year, um, especially. But even prior to that, we would have ways for parents to give us, you know, screenshots of curriculum that their kids were doing. Or um, one of the best things is the social media of the teachers. That is oftentimes a gold mine. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so there, I always tell people, moms are, you know, I saw a meme one time that said, a worried mom does better research than the FBI. And I think that is something that we moms are just naturally very um, good at doing research and sort of digging into things that we know just don't make sense. And then once you start to factor in that we think that they are harming our children, then there's nothing that we can't accomplish. So they're... If if you're able to to collectively uh, set off the mama bear, you know it's just convincing them. Like you said before, if they're putting their head in their sand, whatever you can do to get the mom bear to come out, that that would probably solve right. a, a lot of this in sh- in short order. Well, that's that's the hope, right? I mean that that's the hope. We've gotten some some progress, but again, once you realize the actual the actual kind of the nexus of what we're really up against is much bigger. Once people realize it's bigger than your individual school, you know, it's kind of like this process of learning that people have to go through depending on where they are. And some people think it's just their individual school. That's the problem. And they think that just having a conversation with their headmaster might actually make a difference. And that's where you're like, oh, bless your heart. You know, you really have a lot of learning to do because, you know, you have to tell people you your school doesn't care about what you think or what you say. And that a lot of people have a hard time with because they think, oh, of course they do. You know, everybody wants to feel like that they matter, sure. especially to an organization that they're writing a massive check to. And so you then that's a kind of whole like, shift in mindset and then you have this whole change in your relationship with your school and become sort of adversarial it's not fun you know it's not a fun thing to realize but it's necessary if we want to protect our kids and also if we want to have any kind of a change in what's been going on it's going to have to be a, a, a massive shift in what parents are willing to put up with. And we're seeing it. I think we just need, we need to see it on a massive scale and also connecting those dots well, I, of realizing that it is bigger than anyone's school. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, as far as the the long term effects on our country, the direction of our country, because it, what you were saying a minute ago, if there was any skepticism to whether or not there's efficiency to the mes- methods that they're using, which on a side note, as evil as they are, I mean, they're brilliant methods is as terrible as they are. I mean, it's, it's extremely efficient. Um, and I mean, it's like an evil mastermind, but 
if if you doubt the validity of of it, you know, just look at corporate America. The, what, so when you look at all the young mm-hmm. people in, in uh, post serial, just all these different things that are having having the uh, the gay lobby their agenda infused into their brand, that didn't just come up organically. Mm-hmm. It came through indoctrination methodology, such as you're explaining right here. That's what that's one, oh, yeah. one of the, oh, the multifaceted attacks that's happened on our country, and people are. It's, and that's why I'm saying it's such a mass, a stroke of genius. The way they've done it is as bad as it is. And, that, mm-hmm. and that's why it's, it's so severe, why it's so important and why it's so crucial for people to be aware of it. But I mean, at, at this juncture, when you're talking about the, the NIS, NAIS, to be clear, left to their own devices, they're going nowhere. You, they, they're not going to be stopped unless somebody does something. And so if the way I look at it, there's no working with them, no reconciling this to any capacity. It either needs to be eliminated from the school, the accreditation needs to be removed, or the kids need to be removed from the school mm-hmm. and, and taken elsewhere. They're, they're, you can't work with these people, correct? Right. No, they, in fact, have uh, blocked us. They have blocked our uh, blocked us from Instagram, blocked us from Twitter. They don't want to engage with us at all. And so, um, and they, they will hide things. They will, um, they, once, once they're, um, once we published these videos from the people of color conference, they scrubbed all of that from their website. So they're actually doing the opposite of what you would think an organization would do that is supposed to work in the best interests of parents and, and students. And so that's just yet, I think, further evidence of the fact that they are definitely working with their own agenda um, and not working in the best interest of parents and students because they are hiding what they're doing. And they're also working. Everything that they talk about has to do with their furthering of their uh, they've added more uh, more letters to it. it. It used to be just diversity and inclusion. Then it turned into diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now it's diver- diversity, equity, inclu- inclusion, belonging, and justice. Like, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. Okay. It's constantly, they're constantly adding new letters to their acronym, to their alphabet too. And so, and that is also part of their tactic, right? It's they're all they're, they're it's always changing. Like they're, there's it's never enough. And this is what they'll tell you, these diversity practitioners. And and really again to your point about it's evil genius. So they'll tell you what they call the work. You know, this is their they'll say the work is never done. And so it's a great business model for them because they're the only ones who can identify the problem. Let's say a school says, oh, we're going to bring in this um, diversity uh, consultant to come in and identify what all of our problems are. And then they'll come back with this report, which will say you have problems in all of these areas, and it'll be every single area. And then they'll say, and the only way to fix it is to hire someone from our group to come in and and, and or actually not even fix it, work on it. And then that will be a never ending cycle because the work is never done. They will tell you that. I'm not making that up. It's it's a fact and it's an actual I mean, 
it's um, the ultimate job security for any of these people because they will always tell you that there are more problems with your school or your organization. This is why all of our organizations have gone so far because they've got these outside consultants who are coming in and saying, and they're being paid millions yeah. of dollars to come in and identify all. And, and so much of it is, I think, fear and coercion because parents didn't stand up at the beginning of this and say, wait, whoa, what is, wait a second. What are you, what are you talking about? You know, what are you doing to our, um, and they will, and people, you know, it's like with anything else going on in the country, people were afraid of being called a racist. Yeah. And that is so, that is so done as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you, we have got every single person, every single um, Christian, every single parent, every single human has to stand up and say, uh, you know, the name probably is their tactic. I mean, we have to see through their tactics of, um, you know, the name calling and the labeling and the trying to um, disparage the person rather than actually discussing the um, the message. Absolutely. Uh, because it, it, that's all they're going to try to do every single time. And we can't let them do that anymore. We have to be smarter than that. What, one of the components that, that I, I noticed in my research is that... I'm, I'm, I believe it was covered in some of those videos from the the webinar that you're referencing. Um, was that, uh-huh. that it was it a specific nuance was that the students basically are required and asked to not translate certain information to the parents. And when I, I was looking at the the SAIS, and I'm sure it's on the NAIS as well under their resource tab, there, there's a lot of links, which it's members only with a little lock insignia. So you just can't go in and look some, you can, mm-hmm. but the ones that have to do with DEI well, under that header, you cannot. And so you've got diversity conversations mm-hmm. with students, diversity conversations with parents. And, and so again, the, the idea that people would be locked out of this mm-hmm. uh, for any reason, it, you know, if you don't have anything to hide and why would, why would the students have a requirement to, to not speak to the parents about certain issues? And I think we also saw oh, that, that video, the way to talk to uh, Puritan parents, you know what I mean? Uh, Puritan speak is what they referred to, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you remember that. Yeah. So, uh, oh, my gosh. So the thing that really struck me, one of the, um, there's a, the NAIS has a book about, it's called Hopes and Fears, um, how to um, deal with private school parents. And in that book, they refer to parents who disagree with the school as being mentally ill. I mean, they will, they, it's absolutely disgusting the way that they really try to present parents as, and and I always tell people, if you felt like you had an adversarial relationship with your school, it's because you do, because they think you're crazy. (laughs) You know, I mean, this isn't just, and that's one of the big things that people struggle with is thinking, oh, is this just me? Am I the only one? Because a lot of private school parents are sort of in this bubble of, you know, they want their, you know, maybe their school, maybe it's a legacy school. Maybe they went there. Maybe they have a lot of allegiance, family allegiance to that school. And they don't want to sort of tarnish the veneer or the reputation or, you know, they kind of, they have these other allegiances 
you know, they give, maybe they give a lot of money to that school. And so they almost feel like that they are somehow being a traitor to their school by even questioning the things that go on. There's, there's a lot of different complications that come up in some of these legacy schools that maybe not, don't come up in, in um, public school. And so it, it's just a little bit more complicated for people to come to terms with the things that are going on. Um, it doesn't mean that they can't or that they shouldn't. But sometimes there's just other complications. That, and that, particular, um, that, that seems to me so emblematic of the Democrat Party in totality and leftism in totality. The, the people that don't want to be disloyal to the Democrat Party, in spite of the fact that they've completely done exactly what we're explaining as a political party, what the schools have, are now doing and have been doing. It's just, and it, people don't like to get out of the comfort zone. And they're, they're always used to. The com- I think America's complacency is what is what lent so heavily to this, and if and if if left un unchecked, it's going to be our undoing <laughs> overall. I just had to throw that in. There oh, for everything sure. you're saying just reminds me it, again. It's so emblematic of of what they do as a political party because the tactics are all the same. In fact, the cheap and disingenuous tactic of of attacking it's almost. You know, in a confrontation in public, getting loud to draw attention to your opponent and saying a lot of things that aren't true. That's that's what they they do in pretty much every facet and every avenue in every setting is to start to label slander. Mm-hmm. And and that's never I mean, it's good for theatrics. But if, if you can't get this person to quiet down and, and slow down and boil it down to the brass tacks for the benefit of the rest of the audience, uh, you're kind of peeing in the wind. But that that's why people right. with what you're saying if people are going to have a conflict with the school they should be prepared to get ran through the ran through the ringer and drug through the mud right well it's true it's also um unfortunately it's not productive it just doesn't nothing it won't help and that's the problem that i think people are um not willing to really understand is that because a lot of people are, let's say it's, um, um, guy, let's say you're a, you're a guy who, um, owns his, owns a business or you're a guy who has a, you know, a a pretty successful uh, person. And you think that you should have some, um, influence in your school environment just by virtue of the fact that, it's a small environment and you typically are successful in having influence in your other environment. And then you go into this school environment and you realize you actually, you have no influence, no voice, and you'll be treated like you'll be scolded, essentially scolded for questioning anything that they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's bizarre and that people actually um, put up with it. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. I've told people oftentimes, and, and it sounds a little bit like, oh, woe is me, because what they will say, it's, you know, this is a high-class problem or, or, or whatever, which is unfortunate because of the, you know, we, because of the tuition, it's a, it's a different um, set of people that we're talking about, but we're still parents. And so they'll say, Oh, um, you know, you are basically, I've told people it is basically like being in an abusive relationship because you are out of, like, you're, you're in an environment where, let's say you're being hit 
you're being told that it's your fault that you're being hit. Yes. And then you're being told that you can't tell anybody or you can't uh, discuss your concerns with anybody or you'll get hit again. Yeah. And so it, it truly is a, a, a disgusting um, environment that's been created. And the people who, who I talked to, which are many, who have left their particular school and gone somewhere else, they are, they are suffering from what is comparable to battered woman syndrome because they won't talk to any, they won't talk about it. They don't want to, they'll say, oh, because I've asked people, oh, now will you, will you talk, will you, will you, um, you know, will you come out, will you talk publicly about this now? And they'll say, no, I just, I don't want, I don't want to, um, I don't want to revisit it. I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to go back to it. Like, it, it's truly as if they've come out of a hostage situation. That's the a, way that's that people, analogy for sure. um, it's really, and, and I know it sounds maybe a little bit melodramatic, but um, it is, it, it's just true because, and because when you're talking about our children, that's the thing, is that if it were just us that were at stake here, we would probably all react a little bit differently. But when you're, the school is holding your child's education and future hostage, you feel very much like you don't want to make a mistake because you don't want to harm your child in any way. Of course, that's our number one priority. So you, you grapple with this. All right. How much of this am I going to, am I going to put up with? And it will start. So again, I know this sounds dramatic. It's, it is like an abusive relationship. It will start slowly where you feel very like marginalized or you feel very much like you're being, um, you're being ignored, you're being othered, you're being left out, you're not being invited to things, you're not being asked to join this or that um, association, you're not, oh, you're kicked off a volunteer board. I mean, this will happen too. This is, you'll be told that you're not allowed to be a volunteer anymore, you're not allowed to, um, you're not allowed to join um, this parent group, you're, you're no longer welcome at, at various things. I mean, these are the ways that they, um, and it's these intangible things that happen where you realize you're, you're being othered. And then certainly your kids are being othered as well. And then that's when it, for most people, well, I mean, once, once anyone starts um, abusing someone else, you know, abusing their kids, then typically any parent won't stand for that. But it happens to the parents first. Um, and that's how they shut you up. That's how they make you. Um, that's how they make you uh, fall in line. And so you can either they'll even tell you we have seven people ready to fill your spot. So if you're not happy here, then you should just leave. And actually, other parents will say that too. Yeah. You know, other parents. If you if you were to speak up, other parents would say, "Well, if you're not happy here, then why don't you leave?" And then it becomes like, "Well, wait a second. Like, surely I'm not the only person." to see the problem with what's going on here. And it's like they all, it's like they all kind of um, gather together to uh, quiet any dissent. It, it's very, it's, it's very much like a communist kind of 
uh, communist party environment where any dissent is quickly swept under the rug. I don't know if y'all know about the school, well, a school that had a, um, a list of parents yes. that was um, uh, labeled as insubordinate. Actually, it was parents and a few uh, other people on it that were a couple of employees, a couple of former parents, list of insubordinates. Did you guys hear about that? Yes. So two of the school employees were emailing to each other a list of insubordinates. Insubordinates. And it got out. And, you know, parents were obviously very upset and angry. And they knew that they had been on a list somewhere because they felt it and their kids felt it. But they didn't ever actually see evidence of it prior to this week. And um, the school denied it. I mean, they denied it. They said it's not true. I mean, it's, it's shocking. And then nothing ever, nothing ever comes of it. I mean, it went sort of viral for a little while. But then but nothing, nothing happened. I mean, literally nothing happened. Yeah, and no. these parents were saying that they don't even feel safe sending their kids to that school. And the school, like, literally nothing happened. They just said, "Oh no, that's that's not true. That's that that's that didn't exist." I, I think so that that you see that, it with your own eyes. That particular scenario ex- pretty much explains away any any thought that your analogy, as far as an abusive relationship, would would be melodramatic. I don't think it's melodramatic at all. I think it's extremely <laughs> apropos. Um, right. We're, we're, it, it, you know, because it's. It's like here, you see this with your eyes. You can see it in writing. And then your name is on this list of insubordinate parents. But we're going to tell you that it's not real. It's Orwellian, right? Yeah, and, you know, earlier you said people will label this as a high-class problem. But really, that's not necessarily true because more often than not, the kids that go to these schools are the ones that end up taking the jobs that set the policies at these companies that ended up that end up affecting everyone else that work in these companies right. just like Stanley yeah. was talking about at his job his the the gentleman that you had said correct me if i butcher this stanley sure but in, in your corporate world, the gentleman come in, made a bunch of policy changes out of no out of nowhere. You wondered where it come from because it just completely changed everything. You kind of, through your research of having undercover mothers on here, you discovered that he went to one of these NIAIS schools no, no, or no. something it's, similar to that. So that's, that's, that's a line we distribute. It's very popular in the automotive industry. Everybody would know it if I said the name. It's It's been around for uh, a century. It's like anything else. I mean, you could just fill in the blank, right? Yes. I mean, it's like Nike. It's, I mean, it's any any of these brands that are pushing all this woke agenda yeah, but I say that, that because have all been co-opted. Yeah, but I say that because don't let people push this on you or anyone else saying this is only a high class problem. 
because like anything else, it trickles down. The good thing is, though, if you're being disparaged well, and, and your group is, that means you're over the target and you're a threat and that – that alone right. is awesome, and that's a badge of honor. And the fact that, you know, that that's why we changed our name to what it is now because we, we, we've we been banned from so much yeah. stuff. So it's a badge of honor. I don't care. I, yeah, I'm i not getting paid to do anything. It, it, it doesn't affect me one way or the other. This isn't, this isn't my career, so it, it, this doesn't pay the bills. You can try to cancel right. it from whatever, but we're not going to stop at this point. It just reinforces that we're going to do it even more. Yeah, yeah. and, and Well, it, you're exactly right. Yeah, and, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. And I know this is kind of out of the ordinary for you. And hopefully, you know, we can have you or, or some someone else on, you know, or a couple of you guys on from Undercover Mothers. So as uh, things develop. Yeah, I, I would I'm just thrilled. like to, yes. I want to let you know that I'm you, thrilled to talk to you guys anytime. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, if you've got something to say, you're always welcome on Blue Collar Blacklisted. Anybody that you're affiliated with in that organization is always welcome here. You've got our contact information, and I, from the bottom of my heart, as as clear as I can say it, you're always welcome here. We loved love to have you on in the future. If you guys got anything that you want to discuss Thank on here, you. You, you've got it. You've got our audience. Yeah. Any breaking yeah. news, anything you need to distribute, let us know. We'll be glad to share it. Well, I think that um, one thing I would encourage everybody to do is um, follow along with. Uh, I don't know if they're familiar with the moms from Columbus Academy who. They're sort of the trailblazers who have, but they have filed a lawsuit against their school. Um, Amy Gross and uh, I'm sorry, Amy Gonzalez and Andrea Gross uh, from Columbus Academy in Ohio, and they have they're the first ones who have actually filed a lawsuit. They have come out and filed a lawsuit against their school who had um, expelled their kids for speaking up for the parents speaking up, and so. They're kind of the the canary in the coal mine for this particular epidemic of schools retaliating against parents. Or against, they're retaliating against the students for the parents asking questions, and um, so it, it, they're they're definitely um, the ones to watch as far as hoping that we can have some sort of legal precedent in the fact that this is not how um, students should be treated, this is not how our children should be treated, this is not how parents should be treated, this is not how um, any any person should be treated. And uh, unfortunately, because of the contractual relationship with the school, we, we have, it's uncharted territory a little bit because that we have no protection under the law. Um, if, if they do expel our children, um, it, they say, well, you signed a contract and the contract says this. So we're really trying to, I think, chart a, a new path as far as what are the rights of parents in this circumstance? What are the rights of the students? And also, in general, the right of a consumer to be, uh, you know, we're a customer of the school. So it's a, it's a new thing that we're, that we're trying to do. And they're, they're, they happen to be the um, 
the two, the only two who have actually gone public with a lawsuit. So we're we're definitely following along with with that, and then we expect there to be other lawsuits around the country coming as well. But um, yes, you know, lawsuits are costly, and lawsuits are uh, you know they they drag the families through a lot, and so a lot of these times they just end up settling. And you will end up hearing about them. And so that's how this stuff can get to continue happening because it doesn't actually um, make it into the public discourse. So I'm just thrilled again that you guys are, are bringing this into the, into the conversation and that hopefully more people can find out about um, what they can do. And, and I'm going to send you guys a list of things that what, um, what we can um, suggest that parents can do in their school or ways that they can start to feel like that they can make a difference because one of the biggest things we can do is to just start talking to each other about what's going on. And if you don't feel comfortable doing it uh, openly, um, we tell people, you know, create a Proton Mail account or create a, um, you want to use, you know, we've got Instagram pages, you want to use, you know, we've got if I'm wrong, but from what I've gathered from that, that was a great conversation, but two of the main things that people can do right away to figure out if the school that their child is going to is part of this organization or if they're looking at a school is figure out, one, if it's part of the NAIS or the SAIS, and two, does the school have a DEI, the diversity equity inclusion yeah. yeah that that's that's uh that's the easiest way to find out if they have because think about it and that's one of the things that i wanted to ask her and she may or may not have known but and there's probably various levels but a, a dei uh representative what is their actual level of educational ability in anything besides nonsense what what capability do you have to teach arithmetic english anything what what is it outside of the education that you had that is completely immersed and steeped in nonsense, garbage, communism, basically, if you ask me. But yeah, so, yeah, I would never submit my children to, to the care of any, any organization or any school that had someone like this on staff. That's number one. Number two, and again, this is very rudimentary from my brief research just for this specific show, so I'm not super well-versed in, in all this. This is all new to me, like she said, and I, I think that's one of the benefits of having her on is because people have the idea that if they're paying to send their child to private school, that there's safety provisions and things that are in there and control levels that don't really exist that they think is a good alternative to, to public school, and that doesn't seem to be all that accurate. Yeah, it's like a safety net. That's what I felt. Sure. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, that's what I felt. I thought, okay, if I send my kids to this private Christian school, then I don't have to worry as much because they're not going to be exposed to all these things. Now, specifically, and I didn't look at that school. Because I did. They don't carry it though, right? No. Okay, I, I wouldn't think they because that's a pretty fundamentalist. Correct. Actual Christian school that they don't be, even let the girls wear shorts above the knee. Yeah. So I would. Yeah. That's <laughs> I, I would have. And I kind of just assumed that that wouldn't be the case. But there is other Christian schools in our small town that carry the SAIS accreditation, and some yes. that carry. And the I have NAIS. a family member that goes to one of those schools. Interesting. And so the uh, 
the SIA, like she said, that 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 may be regional, but they'll carry that accreditation, but not the NAIS. And so that could be confusing if you see it. Oh, the Southern, and they actually used a few different um, acronyms. So the SIS. SAIS was also identified as something else. I it, I can't remember off the top of my head. But if they are a part of either of those, that would be an, an immediate disqualifier. And look, if if there's not an alternative, this is just my opinion in this moment with the information I've just been given and just I've just looked at it over the past few days, is that if my if I believe sitting here right now that if I had to make the choice, if homeschool for whatever reason if I was not an option. I had to choose between an NAIS accredited private school and a public school. I would 100% send my kid to public school with, with the information I currently have. Yeah, after this information, I agree with that 100%. So, and, and with all fairness, in homeschool, it gets a bad rap these days. I think people are judging and basing homeschool on what it was like 20 and 30 years ago. Like I've said for so many years, there, there's a war on for your child's mind. That there's, It's a storm. I want shelter from, I want to shelter my kid. Like, do you want to shelter your kid? Absolutely. From this? Absolutely. I was talking to someone, sorry to interrupt, but I know if I don't do it, I won't get a chance to talk. So I I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago that pulled their child out of a public school and did the homeschool because they were having trouble with the bullying and stuff. And it was a girl because girls are actually a lot meaner than guys. I've heard that. Yeah, they are. I have four girls. And so, uh, so they did the homeschool thing. And so two days a week, they go to like a, a group setting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, and they told me where it was and it's like Christian based. Sure. So they get interaction with quite a few other kids and sure. they love it. It's been great. They love it better than anything any oh, public I mean, school or anything. So I, they get the best of both worlds. I They're not sheltered. Yeah. They, yeah. And I would have loved that as a, and because where I went, it was, uh, it was, we, we were part of the busing. So like I've said on here before, it was predominantly black. I would say it was around 80 to 85% black. And so they sent us from middle-class area to the arm, 18 miles away to the armpit of downtown. And is that where they had the racist bridges that wouldn't, let yeah, the yeah. buses through. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, it, it was in Florida. So, and I've had some of my friends from that, that, that period. And, uh, I, if I could have been sheltered from that, like, and has it, has it affected who I am as a person? Absolutely. Is, am I better off for it? No. Like, would I go back and change it? No. Um, if I had the option, it, it, you know, at the time, absolutely yes. I'd like to not do this. You know, I don't want to do this. So, but, and really when you think about it, man, like when you look at the bureaucracy of the DMV, every level of, of governance, look at it. This, the Dude, the school, the school leadership at the public level and obviously at the private level too is comprised of these dirt bags. that They're inefficient, self-serving bureaucrats. I'm not leaving my kids' education up to you. And so, oh, well, I'm going to move to a better school district. Yeah, and you'll have more of the same because it's all ran by bureaucrats that are self-serving, that it's their own self-interest. And and you might have some some people that that aren't as, as bad as others. The, the problem is still the same. And again, homeschool, because of the structure of society, isn't an option for so many people because of the debt load 
and again, I, if I start going off on that, I'll be on a humongous tirade. But dialing it back, I don't even know what, where, where we got off on that on this rabbit trail here. But one, one of the things in summation that, that there was a, a really good, and it seems cliche to say there was a really good meme, but um, you know about homeschooling that the graphic was or the the text was uh, aren't you worried your kids won't be socialized and it says socialized by this and it's got the drag queen story hour kids fighting and then uh, some of the other LGBTQ uh, political lobby nonsense in there that that the kids are so under the impression of right now and and you're right it's not 20 or 30 years ago things have changed there's a lot there's a higher concentration of nefarious operators inside the public school and private school system now and remember what we always talk about on the show and I don't care what it sounds like or who thinks what of it and I'm not I'm not saying that everybody that's involved in the education industry is suspect that's not what I'm saying but it's a, it's a bona fide fact that people that abuse children choose career paths that allow them to be around children when they're putting the mentality that the the political wing the lgbtq political lobby is is putting out there to the levels that they are and they're able to openly operate within the educational system it increases the likelihood of something bad happening that's pretty indisputable if you ask me but uh, which to answer the other question you can if you're if you're looking at a potential private school, you can get on their website and look. And some of these I had to dig for some of them. I I could not find the the pathway to find their accreditation, and and that's mostly the Christian school. So I when you Google it, you'll get a prompt that'll take you to that section of the website to see the accreditations. And again, I might be conspiratorial on, in this one, but it seems like it was hidden. And when I'm seeing things on that specific accreditation website that are locked out from public view about these issues, it, it, it tends to make somebody suspicious. I, at, at this point, I cannot subject my, my kids to that. And by the way, to our listener, Laura, that I promised I would get some some information to, I have that. I sent it to our email to compile so you can email her. I, I would air it, but I, you know, I was dependent on my wife for these, these yeah. links. So obviously I was inundated with a ton. I said, distill it down to four. But she also had them specific to you Laura mean four State. pages from your wife. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's what it turned from yeah. four links to four pages. So um, I think I sent like six. So I, I sifted through them and found what I thought were the most uh, pertinent and relevant ones. So Laura, if you haven't received that email by now, you will shortly. Yeah, and you know you were just talking about something, and I know we need to save this for our. Mm-hmm. Well, we probably should, but I'm going to say it right now because right. who knows when this will come out. Um, when this will be edited and sent out. But I don't know if you saw this, but we're talking about Disney. And did you see this explains a lot about Disney? Disney Air blasts Florida's don't say gay bill after publicly coming out as transgender. I did not know the transgender part. That's new to me. I didn't know. So that's why. That's a biological female, correct? The Disney Air is transgender. What's well, it's a cross-dresser. Yeah. Well, An heir to the Walt Disney Company has publicly come out as transgender. In a recent interview, Charlie Disney described a little about their own journey as they condemn states that have been passing bills that seek to restrict the rights of the LGBTQ community. They don't restrict any rights. Yeah. You don't have the right to indoctrinate my child and talk about sexual things to my child without my approval. And the fact that and, you would think that you do... Hey, listen, this goes, I'm, I'm going to leave sure. this in here because sure. this goes to what you just said sure. about these people and where they place themselves in the career path. Sure. 
the 30-year-old high school biology and environmental science teacher first publicly came out last month during a gala for the Human Rights Campaign, where they announced a $250,000 matching grant to the advocacy group. But but I'm the so big look, They are a high school biology environmental teacher, and they're an heir to Disney. So... If they're an heir to Disney, why are they teaching biology? Why they place themselves there? Yeah, you'll you'll see that in a year to two years when it comes out what they've been doing. Yeah, and look, and we've we've already talked about. So there you go. Yeah, we've already talked about the things that that Disney employees specifically have been in trouble for on multiple occasions. Thank you everyone for listening, and thank you for the undercover mother that called in immensely. And uh, to reiterate. Anybody from Undercover Mothers is always welcome on our show. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for listening. Everybody have a good day, and we'll have a regular podcast uh, recorded Thursday that will be out Sunday. Take care, everybody. Thank you. That's too true for radio. No, you can't sing about it. They'll show you the door. Because Nashville ain't got any balls anymore. They cast you aside, hope you'll tuck tail and leave. But you ain't ever met an old boy quite like me Well, I'd rather be real than put on a fake show But that's too true for radio